ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Uh, our show is called Human Behavior. What a trip. And we're going to have a nice trip today. My guest today is Gary Borgeson, and he's a philosopher with a Ph.D., and he's written a book, a really good book, about dogs. And uh, here's what I have to tell you in my opening remarks. And this, I'm reading this from what he or his publisher has written. Dogs are truly remarkable creatures. More than any other animal, they share with humans a deep interest in friendship, cooperation, and justice. Perhaps that's why we love them so much. In Willing Dogs and Reluctant Masters, that's the name of the book, Gary Borges explores the source of and justification for our authority in the master-dog relationship while inviting readers to ponder the role of authority in friendships among people as well. So uh, I'm one of millions of people who love dogs and like to play with dogs and have dogs. I have two golden doodles. So, uh, Dr. Borgeson, I very much would like to have you come on. Are you there? I am here. Thank you. you can, okay. So why don't you start telling us about uh, the book you've written and what it means for you to know more about the interrelationship between human beings and our wonderful dogs. Sure. Um, thank you for having me on the show, Jonathan. My, my um, pleasure. I, I got interested in the, the, um, in dogs for a couple of reasons. I mean, I've always had dogs. I've always loved dogs. Um, when I was in graduate school, I became interested in um, training dogs, partly because I was interested in being a teacher. And uh, I thought there were a lot of parallels between you know, working with a good dog and working with students. Um, but uh, uh, the particular reason I got interested in the book was that I was interested in um, human friendships, and I realized that it seemed to me that one of the greatest difficulties that human beings have um, in friendships of all sorts, and I include um, you know, teachers with students and parents with, friend, um, with, with uh, children and employers and employees where there's a friendly relation, but one of the great difficulties is how do you handle the fact that in some ways, you know, friends are always in positions of inequality with one another. One friend may know more, one friend may be older, one friend may have more power or knowledge, um, and, and that can ruin a friendship if you don't find a way to deal with the inequality. And then I realized, wow, you know, what better way to think through the question of, of inequality in friendships than with dogs, because we love dogs, and... At the same time, we are in this unfortunate position, some would say, of having to, you know, control them and tell them what to do and train them to do as we say. Uh, and that's, you know, we, many of us are very ambivalent about that. So I became very interested in thinking through why are we so ambivalent? What, why does friendship, um, you know, love and friendship seem opposed to, um, you know, authority, to questions of um, expecting people or expecting your dog to do 
as you wish. You know, um, and I wanted to think that through because I, was, I became persuaded, and I still am persuaded, that for a lot of us, even if we don't put it this way to ourselves, that really is a problem for us in friendship. When a friend challenges us or when somebody tells us a hard truth or things like this, um, those, are, those are stressful points in, in friendships and very telling ones. So then am I, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, when we're with our dog and we want our dog to do something and they don't want to do it, and then we start getting annoyed and angry at the dog, then at that point uh, we're out of sync with the dog or how do you, how do you make sense of that? That's, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great way of putting the issue. Um, right. So why are we angry? And you know, some behaviorist um, uh, psychologists would say we should never be angry because um, that's assuming that the dog can understand exactly what we expect. Um, that they're more than just condition. That they're just that they're more than conditioned animals. Now, I I don't agree with behaviorism on this. I think that dogs are more than simply conditioned animals, and yes. I think one of the reasons we get angry with them is because we recognize very often. I'm sure you do with your golden doodles that. They're perfectly capable of understanding what we want and choosing not to do it. Yeah. And, so I'll tell you, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you a little quick uh, vignette. So so most every evening, I I brush my dog's teeth. I have this thing I put on my finger and then I put the tooth the toothpaste on it. Uh-huh. And then I do all their teeth, the outsides and the insides. So some days. One or both of the dogs, when, I'm, when I when I want to uh, brush the inside of their teeth, they don't open their mouth enough for me to get all the way back in the back. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And so yesterday, I was getting annoyed with him, and I was saying, and I was actually saying, I wasn't yelling, but I was saying you know, with this kind of voice, "Open your open your mouth so I can do all your pe- all your teeth." Right. And. Uh, they must have known something was wrong because normally they open their mouth enough and it's fine. And then uh, after a few seconds of this, I started feeling guilty about being angry with them when they really weren't doing anything wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's just part of you know, one little vignette. But, um, but they are very loving towards me and they're very affectionate. Mm-hmm. So um, when I do get impatient, they somehow put up with it and don't seem to um, have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think those—I think that's an interesting example because, um, I mean, you know, it's harder in that case to know exactly why the, why your dogs are behaving differently on this particular day than they ordinarily do. But, you know, often it's, I mean, often when dogs are not doing as we want um, and we're angry with them, one, our anger actually shows our good opinion of them. You know, we we don't get angry at the guinea pig usually because we don't expect as much of of a goldfish or a guinea pig. But, you know, with dogs, we, you know, sometimes we anthropomorphize them, of course, but very often we are aware that they share many of our interests. And when they don't, cooperate with us, it offends us because we think, well, you know, you're a friend of mine and I have your best interests at heart. You know, I'm, 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 I'm brushing your teeth not because I particularly enjoy this activity, but because I know it's in your best interest. And I yeah. think that's an interesting point because that's where the inequality comes to light. 
You know, there are just times with dogs, as anybody who has a dog knows, where you have to suffer that appearance of injustice in your dog's eyes. You know, you drop them off for a surgery at the vet. Yeah. You, know, you do something uncomfortable or painful to them in order to help them with their health. Yes. Restrict their movement. And all those things you cannot explain to the dog. <laughs> Why exactly. is this in their, in their best interest? And some people, you know, as a consequence, they don't do as well by their dogs because they hate, you know, having to face down their dog's irritation or sadness in the face yeah. of these things. And I, and I, so I think that's a really interesting point. Well, what do we do, you know, as adults, as human beings, when we're, when we're faced with a position where we have to just be authorities and we can't justify it to those over whom we have authority? Yeah. So it so happens my dogs really enjoy having me brush their teeth. Right. And, and I enjoy it too. But obviously, some days are easier than other days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, and then every so often I'll say to my dogs, I wish you would speak English. <laughs> and then, of course, they just look at me like, you know, all I'm hearing is, do you think you would like it as much if they spoke? Oh, I, I think I'd be great. Yeah. But I see, I have this whole big fantasy. So if, I, if my dogs could actually speak English, then my life would be a nightmare because I'd have the only two dogs in the world that can speak. And I'd have to worry, I'd have to worry about them not getting kidnapped. You know, I wouldn't be able to take them out for, <laughs> for runs and stuff. Right. So, you, you'd yeah. definitely be um, asked to be on talk shows all the time. <laughs> I know, but also at some point I'd be kidnapped and probably killed and thrown in a ditch, and then someone else would have my dogs. <laughs> so, so it doesn't even work out right in the end. I was thinking of the more pro, um, more prosaic issue because I've given some thought to that. You know, what if dogs yes. were our equals and could speak and understand yeah. what what we could say and could speak? I would. I sort of think that part of what we are charmed by and what we love about the company of dogs is that they can meet us at the affect over feeling level in many yes. ways and yes. share that that dimension of reality with us. But precisely the fact that they aren't involved in our logical, speechly world is a That's relief true. for us. Imagine if you came home at the end of your day and your two golden doodles were just, you know, complaining, <laughs> kvetching about, Having been yeah. left alone all day, and the food is subpar, and it was you know, yeah. too hot in the house. I mean, suddenly some of, they would lose some of their charm, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, do you ever watch the movie Family Guy? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's it's an animated show, and one of the characters is the, is the family dog, and he's very well grounded, and he's you know he talks in a very baritone voice. Anyway, it's it's very cute. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So um, we tend to love our dogs and we tend to uh, adore them. And um, basically, if we're halfway kind to them, they love us very much, apparently. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And, you know, um, I think, you know, I was thinking about the the difference between... um, you know, family dogs, you know, just to use that term very generally, you know, anybody who just has a dog around as part of the family and um, on the one hand, and, and also therapy dogs, which can serve that kind of purpose as well as they're used in different environments, you know, by therapists and yeah. prisons and um, with people who are, um, uh, you know, have Alzheimer's and things like this. And 
And that's, I think, part of what is so powerful about the dogs is that they um, are, they seem to be unconditional in their affection and their love and their attention. Yeah. And they don't, you know, if they're, if you're a puppy in a prison, you're not asking the prisoner why they're in this place, you know, what they did. Um, yes. And for the prisoner, they to have a relationship with an, um, you know, an, an intelligent, um, sensitive animal that recognizes them in some sense, but isn't judging them. Yes. This is a very is a very powerful experience and a very um, healing one. Uh, yes. Uh, and I think you know for all of us, that's part of you know the power of just you know touch of grooming and petting. You know the grooming that you do when you yes. when you. Uh, take care of your dog's teeth. You know, it lowers your blood pressure. It also lowers the blood pressure of the dogs. Yeah. Um, so there's all that mutuality there. And yet, one of the things that interests me um, is how all of those good things that we enjoy with dogs aren't quite the same as what it means to be friends with a dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's even a possible tension between, um, I think, between the interests of of that unconditional acceptance and um, affection on the one hand and the interests of friendship on the other. And that's one yes. of the things that motivated me to try to think about the difference between friendship with dogs and other kinds of relationships that we have with dogs. Yes. Uh, it's time for us to take our first break, and we'll come back in about uh, a minute or 90 seconds. Here we go. So we'll be back. Hang on, everybody. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower, and my guest today is Gary Borgeson. And Gary Borgeson has written a great book called Willing Dogs and Reluctant Masters. And uh, Gary, in a moment, can tell you where you can find the book. 
And also, if any of you want to call in and ask a question to me and or to Gary Borgeson, you're welcome to do that. That number is one eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. Okay, Gary, we're back. And um, we were talking about family dogs and therapy dogs. And then I often read about and see on TV working dogs, you know, mm-hmm. herding dogs and all that kind of stuff. So um, what would you say about working dogs and how they relate to their owners? Yes. Well, can I, can I tell you a, a short story that I think would be a good way of talking about it? I love that. Go um, right ahead. When I was, when I was in um, one of my first teaching jobs out of graduate school, I was an assistant professor of philosophy, and I was teaching an introduction to philosophy class. And we were talking about Aristotle's discussion of friendship. Uh-huh. And Aristotle says that if friends are unjust to one another, say, for example, you and I are friends, and, and you never pay your fair share of the tab at, when, we, when we have dinner together, or you, know, you yeah. never call me to... Um, to to go out and do something, I always have to call you. Then after a while, you know, we keep score. And if if friends are unfair to one another, then Aristotle says you can end the friendship. And in the course of this conversation with my students, where we were talking about this question of judging our friends, you know, students uh-huh. really resisted this and said, no, friend, good friends love each other unconditionally. And no matter who you are and no matter what you do, a good friend will stand by you. And so they had a real resistance to the idea that friendship had conditions and terms. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was saying you know, before about therapy dogs and family dogs that one of the things we love about them is that the, their love seems unconditional, and people say that all the time, right? My dog just loves me, and it's very simple. Now, with working dogs, and I think there's a lot to that, and there are certain breeds, for example, golden retrievers, um, that are much more inclined, and maybe golden doodles, um, I've known of Labradoodle very well, and he was not, he had a little, he was a little more discriminating as far as I could tell, but, yeah. um, but they will be very unconditional in their affections to people. They will let strangers come up to them and, and pet them and handle them and so forth. Yes. Whereas, and I've had a dog like that, whereas the dog I have now is a German Shepherd, and he's very good natured, mm-hmm. and he's not unfriendly, but he is not interested in having strangers come up and pet him. Uh-huh. And, um, he's also, he's just more discriminating that way, and, this is the case with most working dogs. Um, dogs that are used in war, you know, there was a dog that went in when, they, when, uh, when the United States found Osama bin Laden. There were 79 soldiers, commandos, and one German shepherd um, that uh-huh. was dropped, dropped in. And um, the, these kinds of dogs, and dogs that are used to herd, do serious herding work or search and rescue, they yeah. are highly trained, and they are very discriminating, and they are very sensitive to... Um, uh, poor behavior and poor poor behavior. Let's just put it that way. On the part of the people who are their, are their handlers or trainers. Uh-huh. And um, so, if you can see the connection with my students, um, I think that friendship is more like that kind of working relationship, where you depend on the friend to to be fair minded to you, to love you in the way not that your mother loves you unconditionally, no matter what you do, but to love you because of who you are and what you do and how you act in important ways. And uh, working relationships with dogs are like that as well. For the dog to, to perform well at any kind of work that you want it to do, whether it's not pulling on the leash, um, not going to the bathroom on the Persian carpet in the house, yeah. or you know, tracking down a lost child, or running down a criminal and um, attacking them to hold them, 
all of those things require uh, that the dog really develop a sense of trust um, from the people who are handling them and asking them to do what are often very difficult things. And the wonderful thing about this is that people who've really worked with dogs, um, I certainly have had this experience, the dogs are just wonderful. I mean, they mm-hmm. are so faithful and loyal, and they can be so intelligent and sensitive and discriminating in their work that it's just wonderful to work with them. Um, they can also be very judgmental. They can, you know, accuse you of screwing things up, um, and you, we do screw things up with dogs. So it's more like that kind of friendship where, you know, there's some give and take, and, you know, to be a good friend, you have to be sensitive to what your friend wants and needs and, and not imagine that it's going to be unconditional. The affection is going to be unconditional. So most working yeah. dog relations are like that. And, in fact, actually, one other little story, when dogs that have been in war um, situations, whether as messenger dogs or in all kinds of capacities from World War II on, when they, are, um, when they come back um, from war and, are, and they, try, they used to just euthanize most of the dogs, and then in World War II they oh tried my. to repatriate them, um, find homes for them at home, um, back in the United States. And one of the things that they had to do, this is very interesting, is they had to try to teach the dog to stop being so discriminating. So yes. what you do is you have all kinds of people come up to these very powerful German Shepherds and other breeds that are you know, war dogs, and instead of them doing what they usually do, which is, if I don't know you and we don't have a relationship, I'm very standoffish and you know, possibly even aggressive, yeah. the dog is reconditioned to be accepting of touching from strangers and attention from all kinds of people because that's what is required in order to, you know, be back home in a in a family. And so you see that, like on the one hand, the work requires this discrimination and this development of justice, a sense of justice. But the other, but the more ordinary life, the family life, and the life of a therapy dog requires, in a certain sense, not having so much of that. But letting, yes. letting letting go of that. Yes. So um, I know several police officers who were, had a canine unit, and they had their dog with them. So they had their dog with them all day long on the job, and they had their dog at home. And when those dogs died, I think those police officers had more sadness than the average dog owner would have because they were with that dog so much. Yeah, yeah. And so there was a tremendous, you know, bond. Yeah. And then when it ended, it was very hard for the dog. And then some of those police officers, within a short amount of time, got a new dog because that's what they did. They were part of the canine unit. Right. And so they were, you know, they would welcome the new dog, but they were still warning the old dog. And it was um, kind of a split thing going on between the the dog that's new and alive and the dog that's you know, newly dead. Right, right. And I just felt sorry for the do- for the uh, guys who had these wonderful animals with them, and then they die. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to say about that, but it just it struck yeah, me as well, yeah. Except that it's a fate that all of us will will face. Exactly. You know? We're exactly. all going to suffer and die, and our, do- our dogs. Um, one advantage, I think, it's a it's sort of a dark. Point to make, but one advantage of um, having dogs is that if you mind, if you want to be more mindful and and uh, even meditate on death and um, and dying, dogs unfortunately give you that opportunity because they're so short lived. 
Um, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I, I, you know, a few years ago, I watched um, in horror as my beautiful 15-year-old dog um, died right before my eyes, rather unexpectedly. I mean, I knew she was sick, but she'd been healthy and fine that day, and then she collapsed yeah. while I was in my study, and um, I yeah. held her while she died, and that's a very hard thing. But on the other hand, you know, it's a blessing, I think, to be able to um, to, to have that experience and to, you know, to appreciate um, your your love for another animal and, and your grief sort of expresses that. Yeah, and I, I agree. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, about four and a half years ago, a Siberian husky that I had, he had to be euthanized at the age of about 13 and a half. And I was with him when he was being euthanized and before, and I was petting him and I was sobbing and I was so sad, and I, I was so glad I could be with him as he died. And I was you know, fortunate to have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So I have something else to ask you. It seems to me that most dogs, most dogs that live with a family, they sleep a lot. Uh-huh. But working dogs are busy, like from... Uh, you know, nine to five, <laughs> or 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 nine to nine very often. <laughs> yeah. So how does it work? Um, do the working dogs do they get enough sleep, or how does it, or and the and the um, non-working dogs just you know go in and out of sleep, and they they're asleep for a few hours, they wake up for a few hours, and go back to sleep. That's when no one's home. How does that work? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, there's a couple things to say about it. One is, you know, um, that as you know, um, different breeds of dogs, I mean, um, are suited to different sorts of lives and different sorts of work. Um, some dogs, you might say, are are not suited to work at all. <laughs> um, they're suited to play and to being affectionate companions. Um, and so, what you'll find, generally speaking, for example, German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois, Airedales, um, Border Collies. Uh, just to name a few dogs that are very what are called in 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 uh, working dog circles high drive dogs, right? Um, high drive. High, high drive. drive. Okay. They have a high drive. These dogs um, are a lot more work. That's why people who just want a family dog and go out and, and imagine they're going to be happy with a border collie or a German Shepherd are wrong because yeah. they're going to have a dog that is going to do a lot of the damage around the house and be very bullheaded unless. The, unless the family rises to the occasion of training the dog and exercising the dog a lot, so yeah. one so the one thing to say is that different breeds have different energy levels and different yeah. different needs in terms of um, uh, what they need to do in order to be happy and satisfied. So um, uh, that's one one thing. And the other thing is habituation. You know that um, if, for example, with your golden duels, if they're re- if they're used to you taking them out a couple of days for an hour each time and running with them and playing hard with them and doing things like that, um, yeah. they will be, you know, they'll simply be more active on the 24-hour period than um, another pair of golden doodles of whom that's not expected or that, that's not part of their lives. And those dogs, those other dogs will tend to be, you know, heavier. Um, they'll tend to be less, uh, well, less happy, actually. Yes. Dogs yes. need dog. Dogs only live through their acti- activity. They're not, you know, they're not contemplative animals. <laughs> so yes. uh, they don't, they don't get much from sitting around reading books. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think that's the that's the that's the main thing. I think 
you know, the breed and then the habits of, um, of dogs from their, from their youngest age. You know, I think this is where Caesar Milan is really on the right track when he, when he says basically the first answer to all kinds of behavioral problems with dogs is just almost always that the dog needs more exercise. Yeah. So I'll take, I'll tell you a minute before you just told me about Caesar Milan, I wrote his name down to mention to you. Ah. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell me, so, um, uh, Basically, you think Caesar's on the right track, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, I think he's, yeah, no, I think he's amazing to watch. I don't, yeah. we don't have a television, so I've only watched a few episodes of his on Netflix. But um, he obviously is a very, very um, uh, confident and practiced and uh, accomplished trainer. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure there's, I have you know small bones to pick with him, but I, I'm, I admire the work he does with dogs, and I think he's absolutely right that. Dogs need a lot more exercise and attention than they're getting. Yeah, I agree. So, by the way, with Susan Milan, um, I watch the show a lot, and I watch the reruns a lot, and at least one-third of all the stories he has, I'm ending up crying after each one because it's so beautiful what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it, how, how, how much we identify with, with dogs' stories. Yes. So... Um, I have a neighbor two houses away from me, and he has a dog named Max. And this dog is an Australian sheepdog who apparently was well-trained. And then, for some reason, the dog was sent off to the pound or whatever, and he got the dog. He just looked out and got the dog. This dog is so well-behaved, it's spooky. Uh-huh. I mean, the dog, he's friendly, and he's, he'll approach people. But as soon as the, his owner, in a very, very uh, simple, non-authoritarian way, you know, says come or stay, whatever he tells, tells Max to do, Max immediately does it. Yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, your golden doodles could do that as well. Yeah, although I think Max, the sheepdog, he probably has a little bit more of a working yeah. dog. Um, Right. Kind of, I was going to say working the dog get kind of guy, but he's I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing. But yeah. he um, seems more like a work dog than my dogs could actually be. Right. Well, that's right. I mean, you yeah. know, Australian shepherds and sheepdogs are are working dogs, and they are they come from a line of dogs that are expected to be you know running you know five yeah. ten hours a day and. So and and to be very biddable, to be very responsive to human commands, and to be, um, they come from a line of dogs. You know, herding dogs, working dogs tend to be um, have lots of different capacities. That is, they can respond to lots of different sorts of um, work. And uh, so, yeah. And then you know, the other thing about about um, you know, going back to this question of what distinguishes the working dogs and the, the you know, where the family dogs. I, I remember when I was looking around for for Actus, my German Shepherd. Um, uh-huh. I, I met a lot of trainer, a lot of breeders, who very sort of sadly told me that um, they were trying to breed drive out of the dog. They were How do you to do that? Breed, what? How do you even do that? Well, what they do is this. Um, so you know, the drive is of course what the German Shepherds were originally famous for, and uh-huh. I was I was looking for a dog with high drives because I wanted to do a lot of different kinds of training with the dog and. What one breeder in particular told me is that the problem with hydro, the problem is that people want the look of a German Shepherd, but yeah. they don't want the temperament of a German Shepherd because it's too much dog for them. So yes. then what what happens is that the breeders 
um, start breeding for the look of a German Shepherd, but they but they don't breed dogs that are too spirited or have too much drive. And so what they do is they end up over time getting um, puppies that are more and more laid back and less and less driven. And that's great for a dog that you want around the house, but it's not great if you really want a German Shepherd who can, you know, um, be a great yes. working dog. And so that's another way, that's yet another way in which, you know, um, uh, dogs are more able to handle you know, doing nothing, as it were, because breeders are seeing to it. And, and you know, golden doodles and, and, and dogs like that are, are bred to be good family dogs and be good dogs with children and um, in lots of different situations. And so naturally, you know, they're not going to be breeding the dogs that are um, very, very driven and, and potentially aggressive and things like that because they know that that's a bad combination for the kinds of environments they're likely to go into. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I was going to mention something else about working dogs. I'm not sure. Um, so I'll mention something else. Uh, there's a guy who has a local show in Southern California. His name is Warren Eckstein. And then he has a national show. I don't get the, I don't get the national show. He has a... I'm going to give you a website. It's www dot the pet show dot com mm-hmm. and he's a very interesting what he does he's got a good sense of humor and um, he has a lot of products that he sells and he's somewhat uh, he's somewhat dismissing of or dismissive of uh, Caesar Milan he thinks some of what Caesar does is uh, off the chart and I, I like them both in their own way right. but for you if but for you know the people who would like to know about Warren Eckstein, you can check him out if you want. It's www.thepetshow.com. And you can see what you, uh, you know, and then listen to his radio show if you want. Uh-huh. You'll be able to find out, yeah. So just one more character in the world of yeah. dog. So um, I think, it's, okay, so we're going to take a break and we'll come back in about uh, 60 to 90 seconds. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're 
listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Gary Borgeson, and he's a philosopher who's written a book called Willing Dogs and Reluctant Masters. And, uh, Gary, before we continue, where can people find your book? Uh, Well, I hope they can find it just about anywhere, but um, definitely Amazon.com is a great place to to browse the book and to to buy it. Okay, great. And... uh, does your does your book have pictures of dogs with their humans? Um, the, my book, the cover of the book, which people can see at Amazon, um, yeah. has pictures of my two dogs, um, okay. um, Actus and Kestra. Uh, okay. But no, the, it's a book book. It doesn't have any pictures, unfortunately. It just okay. That's okay. It just has words. <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to tell you and my listeners about an incident that happened. So when I was a little boy... Somewhere around the age of uh, 10, my father brought home a puppy, German Shepherd, oh. and it was a female. We named her Babe, and uh, I got very attached to Babe, and uh, my father brought the dog home without letting his wife, my mother, know about it, and my mother was in, in her entire life, I'm pretty sure. She was phobic around dogs. She was afraid of dogs. Uh-huh. So there was, there was so there was already this problem going on in the family. And uh, Babe was, out, was an outdoor dog more than an indoor dog, which I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I still love Babe. And then um, one day, it so happened, I was walking to my elementary school, which was about three-quarters of a mile from my home. And at some point, I realized my dog had followed me to school. And I was so... so um, I was so pleased that he wanted to walk with me to school. But yeah, then, of course, right, I, right. I, I had to walk him back home because I didn't want to let, let him just be in the... I was in, I grew up in Hollywood, California. I didn't want him just to run, roam around Hollywood and get killed or stolen. So anyway, um, I had this huge bond with this dog. And then one day, my sister and I came home from school, and Babe was gone. And our parents told us this, and I immediately started crying profusely, and uh, they gave us the reason that, well, Babe, uh, supposedly Babe at times was um, a bit aggressive towards dogs, excuse me, towards human beings who would come to our house, especially if they're wearing a uniform, like the mailman's uniform, or the milkman's uniform, or the police uniform, Uh, he would get overly aggressive. I don't know why that was. So anyway, my parents decided he should go away. And they, I was told he was going to a farm. Now, whether he went to a farm or he was euthanized, I have no idea. But anyway, um, after the dog had to be you know, taken somewhere else, and I never saw the dog, um, for so long I, I missed that dog. And uh, I would have friends my age who would have dogs, but I didn't play with them a lot because I was missing my dog. And, and then uh, 
later in my uh, early 30s or so, I started getting dogs in my life again. So it took me almost two decades to get over the, the, the trauma. And it wasn't an everyday trauma. It wasn't like I was morose every day. Right, right, but, right. But on some low-level uh, uh, key or so, I just wanted to put up a wall to avoid my feelings for dogs. Mm-hmm. And then I got my. Then I started getting dogs again, and things went better. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah, you know it's interesting about right. I uh, that's. Parents just don't know, do they? They just have no idea how sensitive children are. I remember being a child and thinking that when I grew up, I would never forget how sensitive and, you know, I was smarter than parents, than my parents and, you know, the adults around seemed to, yeah. then their behavior seemed to reflect. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny about the, about the dog, you know, German Shepherd, which you would expect to bark at strangers. Um, you know that that's part of the whole thing of friendship and the difference between the dogs that are good therapy dogs and the dogs that are good working dogs is you know those working dogs or many working dogs especially those that are used for police work and that kind of work where you have to you know potentially be aggressive towards um, other uh, other human beings and dogs um, that you know we like it you know I was thinking about my mother uh, my mom loves the fact that her dog this dog she has right now yeah. refers her to everybody else. And yeah. all the other dogs she's had in her life have always been very social and have been as happy to be in the lap or in the company of one of her children or one of her friends as they were to be in her lap. And the dog she has now only wants to be with her. And yeah. she loves that exclusivity, right? She loves the fact, just like you love the fact that Babe followed you to school. Yeah. She, she loved the fact that she was being chosen out from among the others. And that's the other side of the aggression, right? You know, when your dog barks at, at somebody that it doesn't know, it's saying, hey, you and I, we're a team. We're yes. friends. But yes. those guys on the outside, those aren't our friends. <laughs> I don't, we don't know them. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. And the other part of this for me is having my two golden doodles. Um, I feel very, um, I feel very obligated to take good care of them. Right. You know, in terms of feeding them, rushing them, playing with them, right. goofing around with them, right. lying down with them, right. I just I just feel this obligation to do it, and I and I enjoy that obligation tremendously. Right, right. Yeah, it is very gratifying. It's nice to have you right, especially you know our lives, human lives are so. I think about this a lot. You know, um, you know, our our lives are so complicated, and so much of our contact with other human beings is virtual contact like right now you and I have never met never yes. seen each other we're talking through you know these electronic media and more and more people are in contact with each other virtually and i think you know we we underestimate how gratifying and important to us it is to have that immediacy of touch and of you know companionship and i think for a lot of people the more alienated they are from you know, other people and from their themselves in a funny way, the more important dogs and cats, you know, and others that can be right with them, you know, um, yes. is. Yes. So another part of that is um, you and I just met today, really, and uh, we've hardly, we hardly know each other, but we both love dogs and like talking about it, dogs. And so 
just because of that, I definitely have uh, somewhat of an attachment to you, even though I barely know you. Yeah, yeah. Then that's that's the right. I, I understand that. I, feel, I know what you mean, and that's that's that wonderful thing about when you share something in common, it automatically binds you. Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, let's talk about dog training. There's all different schools of dog training, and. Different people have different ways of doing it, and Caesar has his way, and Warren Eckstein has his way, and I, I have several dog trainers I know who I use at times when I need a, the dog sitter to do some uh, training stuff, and uh, they all get the job done pretty well, but they don't all do it exactly the same way, so right. what's the story with that yeah. all? <laughs> That's a really good and hard question. I mean, um, I you know... What's the the complaint about uh, Milan is that he's too tough. Um, yeah. And uh, there are really many schools of thought, but one of the schools of thought right now, you know, he comes from a that sort of pack school, the the pack um, theory of dog training, right, where you have to be the alpha. Yes. He talks uses the dominant and submissive you know paradigm, and a lot of a lot of people, um, a lot of you know, experts, so-called. There are experts on both sides of the fences, so there's no, there's no actually consensus on this. Yeah. Say that from the outset, and yeah. there is no, there are no experiments that are going to vindicate one side or the other, regardless of what anybody says. Yes. Um, but I, I, I think you know, just as a as a preface, I would say you know there are, there is no one method for training dogs, and which method is appropriate depends a lot on the dog and on the trainer. And on what you want to accomplish. If you, if, if what you want is a companionable, friendly dog around the house and yard, then the positive only treats, um, positive reinforcement, no negative reinforcement and no physical coercion method can work. Yeah. It works in part because you're not expecting very much of the dog, to be honest, right? And yeah. many of these trainers in this camp will say things like, it's unreasonable to expect a dog to re- reliably come when you call, when they're off leash. Yes. And on the other side of the fence are people like Milan who say, no, you're underestimating your dog. You're letting your dog, you're, you, you're denying that dogs are interested in dominance. And um, because you're denying that and you think that, for example, as one writer said, dogs just want to please. Because you believe that dogs just want to please, you imagine that it's just a matter of conditioning the dog to under, you know, to please you. Yes. But it's not, you know, so uh, people are very, you know, p- people get very excitable and, and uh, very uh, angry on, on this topic because they think that, you know, Milan is abusing dogs. Some people think that. And yeah. on the other hand, Milan thinks that a lot of the people, and, and I think he's right about this too, that a lot of people who call themselves trainers aren't, Aren't really giving dogs the credit they deserve, and they're treating them more like, um, yeah, you know, like 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 machines that can just be conditioned through a kind of programming. Yeah, we're going to stop for one more commercial okay. break, and then we'll come back. So everybody, hang on. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. 
DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to human behavior. What a trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower again with my guest, Gary Borgeson, who's written a great book called Willing Dogs and Reluctant Masters. And you can find it in bookstores and Amazon.com. You can get it. So, uh, Gary, we're talking about training dogs. We're talking about Caesar Milan. I personally don't think he's too tough. I don't think he's abusive. You know, at times, um, for those who've watched the show, his show, um, he'll take his, one of his feet and kick the dog slightly in the butt. But mm-hmm. that's not a hard kick, but it's to get the dog Right. Out of the, out of the zone that the dog is in. Right. And I don't think that's abuse. But then the other character I mentioned, uh, Warren Eckstein, he thinks that is abuse. Right. So go figure. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, know who's who. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have, um, you know, I'm more sympathetic to, to Milan on this score than I am to the, um, people who would call it abuse. Um, yes. And, and I think, I think this is because in the end, um, what what it's easy to forget with well, as human beings is that for dogs, um, the touch. You know, if you watch a, a mother with her puppies, yes, uh, she nips them, yes, she pushes them around. She will physically grab them and and carry them somewhere. She yeah. will use her nose to throw them across the floor, roll them across the floor. Yeah. Um. So. Dogs, you know, we we are very uncomfortable with this kind of, especially in our day and age, with corporal punishment and with that laying on of hands, and we sort of mindlessly sometimes transfer that to dogs. But yes. you know, for dogs, that's a very important way of getting information from from other animals around them and being educated. And so I think when it's done skillfully, um, it's not abusive. It's actually uh, very effective. Yes. And basically, dogs that are trained well probably have a better quality of life than those that aren't trained. Oh, there's no question. And, I mean, there is absolutely no question about that. You know, I remember um, uh, one of the first episodes of the Caesar Milan show, so the, the first season, he, there, I can't remember, I think it's a chihuahua, is on the couch with him, and, and uh, he has it next to him, and the chihuahua actually bites him on the hand. Yes. And then he grabs the chihuahua 
by the head, I think, or by the mouth, by the by the muzzle, and is holding it yes. down into the couch and looking at the camera. And he's you know completely impassive. He's not reacting, and he says, "No, I'm not using force right now." <laughs> yes. And I thought this is great, right? This is what he has to say. He has to say something that's obviously false. Yes. But, but we know that the audience is so sensitive to the notion that he's, you know, using force or abusing his authority that um, he has to say, "Oh, I'm not using force," even though he's clearly just absolutely controlling this dog. And but, you know, but he wasn't being cruel to the dog, was he? No, not at all. Yeah. No, I yeah. mean, you know, biting biting a human being is just about the worst thing. I mean, unless it's called for, right? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. just about the worst thing that a dog can do. And so if there's ever uh, a moment where you actually physically correct a dog, it's going to be when they're biting, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the aggression is going to get them into a lot of trouble in the long run if it's allowed to continue. Yes. Okay, so um, uh, where I live in Southern California, I have these trails to run on and all that, and it's great, and I'm running with my dogs. And there's two different guys... Who come? I come across them, and they're uh, each of these two guys. They're they they're running with about seven or eight dogs at one time with them, and I get so angry with them because my dog, well, one of my two dogs, Fenway, my dogs are Wrigley and Fenway, and uh, Fenway goes ballistic. He just gets so excited, and uh, and then I can't. I have to turn around and go back because I can't pass them on the. Trail. I don't want the, their dogs biting my dog. I don't want my dog getting hurt. <clears throat> so it, there, it seems to me there should be some kind of um, uh, dog owner etiquette where you don't you don't uh, take your eight dogs and clog up a trail. Yeah. I don't understand why they do it. Why they're being so inconsiderate? Yeah. One. I mean, you're the psychologist. I I assume yeah. that there's something pretty deep going on there. You know. Yes. So that that you that you feel are these you know are these pretty big dogs many of them? Oh, they're they're large dogs. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you so you've got these men who are out in the wilderness, as it were, who yeah running with their big dogs and um, yeah. their pack. It's like their gang, right? So there's exactly probably a lot of testosterone measurable in that environment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So we probably only have a few minutes left. Um, let's talk about the, the situation that occurs at times. When pets, in this case dogs, are in a building or a home that's burning, and there's also maybe one or more human beings that are in the building. Mm -hmm. And just to make it simpler, maybe one of the human beings is a a elderly grandmother or a grandfather. And um, some people would go to save the dog first. Mm -hmm. My view is uh, one's obligated to save the human first. What's your view on that? Well, if you you have any view at all. I'm inclined to agree with you, of course, um, yeah. and at the same time, I, I, I will acknowledge that, um, and I think many of us, if we're honest about this, who've, who have loved dogs well, recognize, and sometimes we may even feel guilty about this, that we feel more grief at the loss of a dog, our dog, than we feel at the loss of, of, of a close family member. Um, yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and so I think you know those those two interests compete. On the one hand, we know about the dignity of human beings, and as you say, and, and on those grounds alone, we have to, I think, prefer. You know, human beings know they're going to they can die. They have a completely different way of being in the world, and when we choose to rescue them rather than the dog, we're acknowledging that. But um, but uh, at the same time, I think we can acknowledge and be honest about the fact that many of us feel more connected. 
to our dogs, and our dogs yes. are more woven into our daily lives yes. than most the human beings are. Yes. And so naturally, when they're gone, or the threat of them being gone, um, just tears us apart. It tears the fabric of our lives apart. Yeah. Okay, so we only have a couple of minutes. I've got to ask you a question. You may not even have an answer for it, but we hear all these uh, incredible stories where a dog is separated by their owner, and the mm-hmm. dog may even be thousands of miles away, mm-hmm. and somehow the dog ends up home again. Mm-hmm. How does that possibly work? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any idea? I, I'm serious. I, I'm I don't serious. have any. I, I can't answer that question in any authoritative way. I can tell yeah. you that um, I've trained my dog to do scent work and tracking, my, my yeah. German Shepherd, and yeah. he's really good at it. And it's remarkable to me how... I can, you know, my, my, I had, for example, a few weeks ago, my, my niece was visiting and, and I had her and my wife um, wander off into the woods about a mile away and yeah. Actus found them in about two minutes and okay. they weren't on a trail or yeah. anything. And so dogs, you know, dogs have 400 times the scent power that we have. Um, they can follow a trail that is a week old, a uh, scent trail that's a week old. And I think that's a lot of it. They just, they can home in on us. Okay, but so the dog who's not trained for this kind of stuff and who, let's say, is uh, taken to um, Denver, Colorado, and somehow it walks back to uh, yeah. uh, Westlake Village, California, yeah. well, how does that possibly work? Okay, well, I'll tell you one other thing really quickly. That This is speculative, but okay, I think... We have 30 but, seconds, so you got to make it. Okay, yeah. there's a thing called morphic fields, morphic resonance fields, and the idea uh-huh. is that human communities and human individuals set up a kind of like it's a, it's analogous analogous to an electromagnetic field, and yeah. the idea is that dogs can be sensitive to these morphic resonance fields, and they can follow them. This okay. is why you know there are these phenomena of dogs who can tell when their owners are coming home, even though their owners never come home at the same time every day. Yeah, they can nevertheless they will jump up and be at the window when their when their owners come home. And the idea is that in some very subtle ways, the dogs are tuned into a field. Yeah. Okay. That we're not even aware of. Okay. I think it's about time we have to stop. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this hour with you, and uh, I'm going to talk to you again sometime. Maybe I'll maybe I'll talk to you after the show. And uh, so, thank you so much for being on the show and and giving us your views and ideas about dogs. It was great. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, Jonathan. Okay. It's been a pleasure. I love doing the show with you. It was great. Great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.